with five seconds. He's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Warner <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Gives off to Amos. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan meets Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Pagnata. On this edition of the podcast, we sit down and talk to one of the friends of the show, Sam Doughton from the Argyle Report, to find out about some of the storylines heading into the last two weeks of the season and talk a little bit about Larry Fedora and where his hot seat sits at as he heads into the Western Carolina game. Hello. Hey, Sam. How's it going, man? How's it going, Anthony? Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear from you too, man. I know it's uh, it's been a little while, but uh, we got to get you back on to help us figure out uh, these last two weeks, man. So uh, you, th- you <laughs> think you can uh, maybe do that for us? I'll try to be as insightful as I can, but you know, there's, there's only <laughs> – so much you can say about this team at this point, I think, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we sat here before the season and talked about, you know, where we expected this team to be. And currently at 1-8, and eight, I, I don't think this is where we thought they were at. I mean, do you have any ideas as to why they are sitting at 1-8 and eight at this point? Or are you kind of like us, just sitting here a little baffled? I mean, well, it, it, it is a little baffling because, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of this team that we thought they had at the beginning of the season have come through. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of talented wideouts with a lot of speed. Their running back core is very strong. Their defensive line unit in general has been pretty good, particularly when you have Blake Carney and Tillman Fox on the field at the same time. Um, and, you know, weakness-wise, secondary's been spotty at times, particularly after K.J. Sales went down. Um, and then, you know, you've also had trouble finding a consistent quarterback. So that's, you know, maybe a little bit more due to injury and suspension than, you know, perhaps anything else. Um, so, you know, the, the same weaknesses we expected that they had, it's just, and they, they've been close in a bunch of games. They, they've been right there to, to, to get a shot outside. You know, the only game that they really lost by a lot that you expect them to lose by a lot was East Carolina. And I guess you might say Miami at this point, but at that point Miami was playing really well and they just had a bad string of a few weeks back. So it, it's just sort of like, you know, there's just, if one or two things go their way in a couple different games, they're, it's a whole different conversation about the season. Yeah, five of the six. Yeah, five of the six losses um, so far this season, as you mentioned, very close, one possession games actually. You know, when you look at it, uh, the quarterback position, I feel like Nathan Elliott gets a lot of criticism. Is he really the the biggest guy that you can blame at this point of the season? Uh, not 
really, I would say, because Nathan Elliott's not doing anything like negative, I guess, in his play. Like, like the reason Nathan Elliott's a problem at the quarterback position is he doesn't have the ability to really go vertical down the field as well as mm-hmm. a Cade Fortin or a Chas Surratt might be able to. Um, so he's actually done a pretty good job of taking care of the football since his you know, early season when he struggled with it. And so you can see he's making adjustments, and he's a pretty decent game manager quarterback. If UNC ran more of a West Coast system, I think he'd be a very good quarterback because he's got a tiny bit of mobility rolling out and shown you know, some decent flashes here and there. But, I mean, we saw it in the Duke game when the run, the run game was going great in the first half. And then once Duke sort of figured out that Nathan's going to have trouble throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield with that accuracy, they started cheating up on the play, and then you know, that, that shuts down the offense. And then there's not a whole lot they can do from that point on. Um, so, I mean, it's perhaps a little unfair against all the fly because you know, defensively they're not stopping hardly anybody, it seems, um, of, late, of late in particular. And that's that's a huge issue. And they, and they continue to score a lot of points every single game. And so he's obviously doing something right on that front. But I think you, particularly when the team gets down by a couple scores and they're having to lean on Nathan Elliott, that's where you, where you start to see the flaws in his games come through. Yeah, you mentioned really how they're able to load up uh, against him. One of the other things I think that has definitely hurt their ability to attack on offense, at least in my opinion, with when it you know comes to Nathan Elliott, really yeah. is that they've kind of taken his ability to run away from the offense. Do you think there's a specific reason for that? Maybe because of the injuries they've already seen to Cade or Jace, or is there maybe just something else that they're seeing that maybe we're not? I mean, I, I, first off, I don't necessarily think that's Nathan's game. Nathan's, Nathan's running ability is much, uh, to, to use a more lofty analogy, probably is warranted. But like, it's more like when Peyton Manning would run back when he would play, where like he, he would you know get a scramble on a broken play and pick up a few yards, and he has the sort of mobility to move around in the pocket, but he's not got the ability to really run or you know get hit really hard or anything like that, like somebody like Chaz might have. Or something, and even Jace Ruder, you know, showed a little bit of flash of that against Georgia Tech. Um, so I, I think it's more just you know that they're playing his abilities. That's, that was never really that big a part of his game, even when he was playing well last year. It just it was his running yards were more just like circumstantial, and the you know when he did a good job of recognizing defense was all downfield on a four verts or something, so he had tons of space to run ahead of him, pick up a first down. And so, I mean, there might be some injury concerns there because you know we're looking at Manny Miles being the main backup or walk on. Um, for the rest of the season, and so I, I'm sure that's playing a small part in their minds, but I, I think it's more due to the fact that they feel like that's just not his game, so that's sort of his own read stuff. Well, one of the things we saw them lean on a little bit more than maybe they've done all year in the Duke game was the running game, and that's because uh-huh. of the success of Michael Carter. You know, when you look at Michael Carter so far this season, really I think he might be the best offensive player overall is is it crazy for Toriel fans to think maybe they should lean on him even a little bit more, maybe get him up in that 20 to 25 carry range as we go down the stretch here? Well, I think it's I think it's tough to you ask to give him that much stuff because you also have Antonio Williams, who's a pretty great, in particular, short yardage back, but he's also sharing flashes of just being a complete package as well. And then on top of that, you've got Jordan Brown, who I think you know a little bit sort of the, the speedier version of Michael Carter. Miller. He doesn't take hits quite as well as Michael does but can get in open space, particularly on passes, and run and go and do really well. And then even behind them, you got Javante Williams, mm-hmm. who's scored a touchdown his first of his career, I believe, this past weekend. Right. It's just, I mean, it's, just, it's four really good running backs. And so 
whether it's Michael Carter or any of the other three, it's it's something they need to lean on. But but like I said, when when defenses know that you can load up the box or and bring people up to the line against UNC and you know force you to pass, um, you know that, that's going to be a struggle. But like I mean, so they're going to be creative designing plays, and they might. And they they've got enough speed on these swing passes to really stretch the defense wise. I think that might be what they have to do to you know get get their running backs in space and get the blocks out there and get them going. But absolutely, Michael Carter is somebody they should you know, look, certainly look at giving that many touches a game. But even if it's not him, just giving running backs more touches in general would be smart. Right, and I think one of the ways they can do that, and I would hope maybe they turn to it, uh, is going with more of those dual back looks in the backfield because I thought that was relatively effective against Duke. You know, they they were able to run the football well, but it's back-to-back weeks now that they've let up over 300 yards rushing on the ground. My thing is, is at this point, is there really something that we can put our finger on and say that's the real issue with this run defense? Or maybe is it just the fact that it's gotten so late in the season now that these guys are just starting to wear down? I mean, there's certainly a wear down ability to that. I mean, you're seeing defensive linemen every single game you know, get nicked up. I think um, I want to say Jason Sturbridge got nicked up last game for a little bit, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, just all these different players who maybe aren't get aren't hurt enough to like leave the game completely, but they have to you know take out a few a few plays, and that tires everyone else out in the field. And it is getting late in the season, and they are, you know, <laughs> there might be a struggle for a push there. Um, there, but I mean, I think it's just yeah, it's that the defensive line, particularly interior, is just not getting the push they need to on those sort of plays to really. Um, you know, alter what the, the teams they're playing are doing on the run game. You know, we'll see what happens against Western Carolina this week, which you know, they're going to have, you know, less sizable offense alignment. So maybe we'll see that come back out again and get a little more confidence going. But that's where I see the problem is. Because we, we we know that the linebackers outside of Cole Holcomb right now are are going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And the secondary in particular is going to struggle and that sort of thing outside of Miles Dorn. And so – it's, it's, it's like this defense story is going to have to lean on the defensive line, and when the defensive line is either tired or just isn't producing, they're, they're going to not do well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. The injuries, I think, is the you know a huge storyline. We said coming into the year, you know, there's no way that it could be as bad as it was last year. It's almost starting to trend in that direction mm-hmm. once again. Um, I mean, we've seen some major guys like KJ Sales and uh, even Alan Cater on the defensive side. He had developed into a nice piece down there. Mm-hmm. You know, is is there really? I I don't understand at this point how they're able to slow this down. Um, you know, is it is it something maybe that you know they're 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 doing wrong in practice? I mean, I I don't understand. Is there any way that we can kind of figure this out ourselves, or is it just one of those fluke things for back to back years that uh, you know is is going to have to be solved probably in the off season? I mean, well, I, I do think it's a thing you solve in the off season. It's you know something if you know, assuming the same staffs around next year, or at least Coach Fedora's around next year, which I think he probably will be. You know, it's going to be one of those things where he's going to have to you know do a full assessment of everything they did and figure it out. Um, because, I mean, I mean, two years in a row, you're certainly it, – it begs the question of whether there's – you know, is there something in strength and conditioning that's leaving, you know, people's muscles and other things to be weaker than they should be on game days? It's something you're doing in practice. It's too much live action. Should we take off the pads for something and do this, this, and that? And sort of figure it out. Or, you know, is it, maybe is, is it even the type of player you're recruiting? Have they recruited – you know, people who have injury histories or have potential for injuries, and it's just unlucky on that end. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's any of that because, I mean, 
you know, I think three years in a row is when you're really starting to look at a trend, and this is only really the second year where this has happened. And even then, it's not to the extent it was last year. Um, you know, sort of by the time you get to this point in the season, every team in the country is hurting a little bit. Maybe not. You know, I mean, yeah, I think the glaring thing for UNC is you know, they got three quarterbacks, three scholarship quarterbacks who are out hurting, um, which is bizarre. But every every other thing is just sort of like normal attrition, next man up. They should they should have had a depth build up. I mean, KJ Sales is a good player, but they, they should have had depth built behind him at the cornerback position to be able to account for that, and they really don't. Um, so I mean, I, I think the the injuries maybe are a little bit more than you expect, but they're not so much more outside of the quarterback position that they shouldn't have been they, that they aren't accounted for. And so I think that's more of an indictment of the development behind them at this point than it is of any sort of strength and conditioning or injury thing. Well, my last question for you, and then we'll let you get out of here. You, you kind of answered just a little bit, um, but I'll, I'll kind of spin it just a little bit and say yeah. this. Um, you think that Coach Fedora will be back. Um, I, I guess this is kind of a two-part question. Um, you uh-huh. know, just with Western Carolina, if he loses that game, he's got to be gone, you would think, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, if let, let's say he does win that game, how big then do you think the state game is at least for his job security heading into next year? If he loses that game, it's probably not crazy to say that he's going to head into next season if he keeps his job with the hottest seat in the country, right? Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of particularly anybody in Power 5 that would have a hotter seat than Larry Fedora would next year should he finish – Two and nine this season. Um, you know, assuming he beats Western and loses to State, um, you know, there's, there's probably a couple guys in the Conference USA or something that that will maybe back next year after a one or two win season this year that'll have a hotter seat. But in the Power Five, like particularly since David Beatty's gone to Kansas now, mm-hmm. there's not going to be anybody who's even even close to having that hottest seat. Um, but I mean, I, I I have read stuff. I don't know if you read um, what that is. Is either Bill somebody at SB Nation? whose name I'm forgetting right now, Stephen Godfrey wrote a story about Larry Fedora um, and whether he'll get fired or not. And a lot of the coaches he quoted off, off the record anonymously, um, all saying that, like, you know, a lot of the he, – he's earned a lot of loyalty from the school and from his players for different things. Because, you know, he did stick around through all the NCAA mess that the program mm-hmm. was doing with that was out of his control. Um, and – it, he developed the player. players haven't quit. They're playing hard every single game. They're in every single game. Um, and so maybe, you know, he's, he's going to have to make some staff adjustments if he stays. But also, like, let's be blunt, his buyout's a lot of money because after the school gave him that extension in 2015, that's the main reason I think he's going to stick around is I don't think there's going to be enough appetite among the booster class at UNC to raise 12 to $14 million, which is what people are reporting his buyout is after this season, right. um, to fire and so, you know, it, it, it'll be tough. Um, it is going to be tough for him, and he's going to have to win a lot of games early on. He, you know, he is, is out of conference schedule next season. I know he plays App and Wake Forest. Those are, you know, two programs that fans are expecting him to beat. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know if they'll, they'll switch you know, that quickly um, if, if something goes poorly or something else like that, but it's – He's going to be in a tough, tough situation in, in general, but I don't think he's going to get fired this season. I don't think there's enough appetite to really um, just sort of get rid of him after all that. Um, because I mean, he is a good representative of the school outside of that CTE stuff. You know, this summer he really hasn't had any negative headlines. Um, and he, you know, 
sticks his head forward. I know that Bob Cunningham likes him. Everyone reports around that, saying that. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it's just tough for me to imagine. A, it was not that tough, I guess. But given his buyout, I think it's it's going to be a tough sell to the boosters when they're trying to you know, buy all these other things on campus. And, you know, that football facility is at, at some point in time is going to be finished. I don't know if it's finished or not at this point. But the, the, the indoor practice thing looks almost done. They just got to, you know, get up the landscaping around it. So he's had some bad circumstances. He, the coaches in the sport at least feel like he's earned some loyalty from the school because of sticking with the Tar Heels when he could have gone on to bigger and better jobs for more money. But, I mean, he's going to have to make some changes. And I don't quite know what those changes look like, but there, there's got to be something he's got to do. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what those are when they hit the field to start next season against South Carolina. So, um, yeah, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for stopping by, man. I know it's not the uh, the most exciting thing, uh, but uh, you know, with being one and eight, but um, yeah, thanks for uh, stopping by and then giving us uh, just a little bit of what to look forward to. So, yeah, I do think it, I do think there's potential to have an exciting couple couple weeks coming up. I mean, obviously, Western Carolina. The FCS quote-unquote cupcake before rivalry week, always a game. Uh, hopefully UNC will put that one to bed quickly so our sports writers can get home fast and all the fans can enjoy themselves, have some good memories at Keene Stadium this season where they have won a game already against Pitt, who is looking to be the favorite in the ACC Coastal now because the ACC Coastal is bananas. And I actually think they might have a decent shot against State because State – has just seemed to implode on themselves every single year as, as, as happens with them sometimes. And, you know, they were looking at the 10-2 and two season, now they're looking at 9-3, and three, and as competitive as the Tar Heels have been in every game they've played recently, they've, they've certainly got a shot at home. And, uh, you know, if they play well and execute and control Ryan Finley, I think they got a shot in a couple of weeks. So something to look out for, something to look forward to. Thank you very much for having me on. I hope you're having – hope you and all your listeners have – a good Thanksgiving if I don't talk to you then. But thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We'll definitely have to have you on after the end of the season. And, uh, yeah, yeah uh, thanks for bringing up my uh, favorite annual tradition of state falling apart. It just <laughs> it just makes me feel happy every year. But, uh, yeah, you have a good good night uh, covering the volleyball game. Uh, good Absolutely. luck to them out there. So, yeah, man, uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. All right, Anthony. Have a good one. All right, man. All right, Sam Downton of the Argyle Report. Um, yeah, you guys can follow him on Twitter at uh, SJ Downton. Uh, he does fantastic stuff for the Argyle Report, which is owned by one of the former Tar Heel beat writers, Turner Walston, who did a fantastic job for so long. So as usual, um, you know, you guys can subscribe to the podcast. Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Google Play has it. Tune in app, iHeartRadio, plenty of places you can listen to it. Just hit that subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. Check out the blog on medium.com. Just search Heel Tough Blog. So want to thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Sam, for stopping by with us and chatting before the volleyball game. Got to shout out my UNC volleyball crush, Greer Moseman. Good luck to her tonight. So, uh, yeah, uh, with that, we'll step off. And uh, thank you guys for listening as always. And as always, go Tar Heels. (laughs) 